you might not know this about me, but uh, I can be pretty cheap. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, like recycling my paper towels cheap, all right, because that's a whole new level of cheap. All right, I'm cheap. Like, I'm the guy that's willing to save the extra three bucks, and so when I'm on Amazon, I'm looking for the used but good, right? I'm okay with that, like used but great. Like, I'm, I'm even better with that. If it saves me that two or three bucks, I'll take the risk on it, because if not, I just send it back, right? That's kind of how I operate. So Audrey and I, we, we've had this dream to build a home. It's a dream of ours, and we haven't had the opportunity yet because building a home is a lot of money, and we're not there yet. But one day, we're dreaming to be able to build a home. And so uh, we, we found a way to you know, use what we have and tweak things here or there and redecorate from time to time. And, and so a while back, we found this show that we loved because it met both of us where we are. It, it met Audrey's desire to be style and design worthy and my complete drudgery of cheap, and it meshed both of those. It's called, it was an HGTV show called Design on a Dime. Like 10 cents to redo something? I'm all about that. Like that's better than the $1.25 store, right? That's how I operate, okay? But, but I'm not the only one that loves that. Kind of, like, people love transformation shows. Like, I love that show because you, you look at this show, and the whole premise of Design on a Dime is to take these things, to take these rooms in a home and use all of this creative license, all this artistic stuff, and do it in a way that's cost-effective. And so they would combine these cost-saving ideas with these clever, divine, the, these clever design solutions, and they would have these great transformations of these homes. And, uh, you know, these, these transformations that would take place, it made it look like the owner spent thousands of dollars on this room when reality was it was like maybe a grand or two that it redid the whole room, and it was this fabulous-looking thing. Lots of people love transformation shows. It is a thing. That's why transformation shows continue to pop up over and over. And, and not just home transformation shows. There was a show called What Not to Wear that people love to watch because you took a person who had zero style sense and you gave them some style. Like there was this transformation. They showed up and all their friends were like, oh, wow, I didn't know you could look that good, right? Audrey thought that about me when we got married. She's like, wow, I didn't know the basketball shorts and t-shirt could look so good on a guy. That's what you'll find me in if you ever showed up in my house, by the way. So much so, this isn't even, it's, this, you're going to get to learn a little about me this morning. <laughs> I remember I was having a birthday. I'm not a big birthday person. This has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I'm just going to go there. So you get to be my audience today. <laughs> I remember I was having a birthday. I'm not a big birthday person. Audrey decided she wanted to throw me a birthday party and celebrate me, which I love that my wife loves to do this kind of stuff. And so she sat me down on the stairs at our house and she goes, now, you need to go change. I said, I'm in what I want to wear, my basketball shorts and t-shirt. She goes, no, you need to go change. There are people coming to our home. Please go change your clothes. And I, we're going back and forth. And I'm like, I don't want to wear jeans and a nice shirt. Like, it's my birthday. I want to wear what I'm comfortable in. And she looks at me and she says, Josh, don't ruin this for me. <laughs> now, who 
whose birthday is it? Anyways, that has absolutely nothing to do with what I was talking about today, and I don't know where I'm at, but design, transformation. See, I, can, I, I don't wear basketball shorts and a t-shirt on Sunday mornings. Wouldn't you be glad for that, right? But if you come in basketball shorts and a t-shirt, man, more power to you. Like, I'm grateful that you're here. You don't have to dress up to come to church on Sunday, just so you know that, all right? If you wear a tie, great. If you wear basketball shorts, great. We're glad that you're with us today. Now, transformation shows. We all love them. We all love transformation shows, right? Because we all like put ourselves in, in that spot for a small moment. We're like, man, if they can do it, then I can do it. Like, if they can look that good, then, then there is still hope for me. I can look that good. If they can slim down that far, man, there is still hope for me. I can drop the extra 30 pounds that I've been trying to get rid of for the last 30 years. Like, it's possible. And so we see ourselves in these people, and we say, man, it is completely possible to have a transformation. The thing about these shows is they, they, rely, on, they rely on willpower. They rely on makeup and expertise to bring about this change, to see these transformations happen. Now, we're beginning a new series today called Sequel, uh, the early church. A sequel is something that is a second act or a second part of a work, whether it's a book, a movie, or a video game or something. A sequel is what takes place after the original piece of work, right? And often a sequel, it has, a, uh, it has the characters and often the, the place or the setting from the original work that took place. They're brought into the sequel with everybody and so the book of Acts is essentially a sequel to the life of Jesus, right? If you look at the Bible, the, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the eyewitness accounts of Jesus, the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And the book of Acts, it is the sequel, it is the second act of the life of Jesus. The book of Acts, it acts as not just a sequel, though, uh, it, because a sequel can sometimes be historical. And, and while the book of Acts is historical, it's also present, the book of Acts is also taking place today. You see, the early church's mission of sharing who Jesus was, of sharing Jesus and what he brings, is the same mission that if you've said yes to a relationship with Jesus, that same mission, that same responsibility is placed on your life as well. See, we aren't here just biding time, satisfied with a nice church service and a comfortable message but we're actively placing our hope in the coming kingdom of God. We are to be witnesses of Jesus. If you have Jesus and you've said yes to a personal relationship with Jesus, your responsibility is to witness to others about him. And so as we take a look at different parts of the book of Acts over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see this transformation that takes place in the disciples. These same characters, this same place that happened in episode one of the life of Jesus when he was on earth, these guys, they go from fearful to faithful. They go from cowardly to courageous in a single moment. It was a moment that changed their life. It was an interaction with Jesus that changed their life. Peter, weeks earlier, just weeks earlier, had denied that he even knew Jesus to a little servant girl as he was following Jesus' trial that night before Jesus went to the cross. And as I share with you last week, this transformation takes place in the disciples. It can only be explained by the transformative power of Jesus. Because Peter goes from a coward 
who's sitting there cowering down to this servant girl, denying he knows Jesus, to a few short weeks later, to boldly speaking about the salvation that Jesus brings. And that same transformation that happened in the disciples, it should be evident in us as well. I titled the message today, Empowered. Empowered, because the disciples were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And just like the disciples were empowered, we are too. They were empowered with so much. They were empowered, and that word empowered, it means to to make someone stronger. It means to make someone more confident. And so let me give you just a little context uh, before we jump into Acts chapter 2 this morning. In, In Acts chapter 2, what's transpiring is it's 50 days after Passover, Passover is when Jesus went to the cross and died. Passover was a, a Jewish celebration that took place each year as they celebrated uh, their deliverance from the nation of Egypt after the, the 10th plague when the angel of death took the firstborn of everyone. So the, Jesus died at Passover. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And then after the next couple of weeks, Jesus spent time appearing to different people. Over 500 people interacted with the risen Jesus as we're reading in Acts chapter 2. And then Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts chapter 1. That's what you can read there. And he tells his followers to go to Jerusalem and wait. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait until God the Father sends the gift he's promised, the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, as he's getting ready to leave this earth, as he's getting ready to ascend back to his place in heaven with the Father, this is what he shares with his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the last thing that Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves the earth. He gives them clear instructions for not just those disciples that are standing there. He gives clear instructions for you and for me. This was a message that wasn't just for the disciples who were there present in that moment. This was a message that was for you and for me years later. It was a mission that every person who chooses to follow Jesus was given. And so here's the disciples. They're sitting there in this room in Jerusalem waiting like they were told to wait. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, here's what it says. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. This was 50 days after Passover. It was 10 days after Jesus had left here on the earth. The day was called Pentecost because it was a celebration of the first harvest that took place. They called it Pentecost. And so this this moment, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it birthed the church age. Everything contained in the rest of Acts, everything contained in the rest of the epistles, it begins here. The new apostolic age, the age of the Spirit, the last days, the days in which we ourselves live, they were birthed at this moment on the day of Pentecost. Church, the day of Pentecost was one of the most phenomenal and important events in all of history and ushered in the beginning of a move of the Spirit of God which would bring in a great harvest for the kingdom of heaven. And according to the Bible, we are right at the moment in history 
where Jesus would return. But yet, Scripture tells us that we don't know the day, we don't know the hour when Jesus is coming back, and so all we're told to do is be ready. All we're told to do is, is be prepared. Now, I'm not going to get into eschatology. I'm not, that's the study of the end times. I'm not going to get into that today. But I'm just telling you this to let you know that we are living in the final era. We've been living in the final era for 2,000 years. So there are people that are part of Christianity that are very eschatological. They're very end times focused, which is good. But that is not the point of Christianity. I hope you understand that. The point of Christianity is Jesus. And so if we get caught up on an end times theology and we forget about Jesus, we're missing the mark. So I'm just telling you that we're in the end times, but we've been there for a while. But because Jesus doesn't tell us when he's coming back, he could come back here in about five minutes, and he could come back in about 500 years. All we're told is to be ready. Be ready. I say this to tell you that we need to live with a sense of urgency. If you're a follower of Jesus... We need to live with a sense of urgency. Knowing that we are in the final time, the final era, this should change the way you believe and it should change the way you witness. Because of the Holy Spirit in you, you are empowered to show others who Jesus is. You, as a Christ follower, are empowered to show others who Jesus really is. Jesus sent us, God sent us the Holy Spirit for times like this to empower us to be his light in the midst of darkness. Witnessing is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. When we look at this passage in Acts, it says the Spirit appeared. It says the Spirit appeared in a form of the tongue of fire. The tongue, it symbolizes the instrument of speaking. A tongue, it it symbolizes preaching, sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit is supposed to be the burning power of the tongue. It's supposed to have this convicting message that's shared. And although, although the word tongue, it creates for some this really crazy vision of these tongues flapping around over people's heads, right? That's what some people picture it as. It just simply means, that word tongue, it means language, it means dialect, it means language or dialect, and, and what's really cool about this, and, and if you really look in at the way that God orchestrates everything, God, God times everything in his way, right? Because what took place is at this, this celebration of Pentecost, people who were Jews from all over the world, they would come back. Dispersed Jews who were living in all other lands, they came back and had gathered together in Jerusalem for this feast of Pentecost. And in verse 5 of chapter 2, it says, At that time there were devout Jews from every, from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. It was apparently this thunderous blast that God had orchestrated that brought people rushing to the scene. This giant commotion of the Holy Spirit coming into the world, it, it attracted a lot of attention. But what's really interesting about that, if you go back and you look at the Old Testament, there's this, this rushing wind, this noise of wind. It was a sign of divine presence. 
It was a, a sign of divine presence. So these devout Jews, they hear what, hears what sounds like roaring wind, rushing wind, a mighty windstorm, and crowds come to investigate, and they're amazed by what they witness. People, Jews from all over the world, they show up. God times things in a perfect way where he can bring people, his people here, they're present for Christ to save and to send back to the nations, right? That was Jesus' command to the 120 disciples that were there to preach the word, to go and share in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's got a giant army that's come to hear this message, to come and see what has transpired, to proclaim the message of the gospel. This one act shows us that the gospel of Jesus Christ was for the whole world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for the whole world because there's a difference between someone who's heard something and someone who's witnessed something. Right? These people, if they would have just heard through their third, fourth, or cousin, aunt or uncle, it's hearing it, third party, so they don't get all the details, but when they're here and they witness it, there is something concrete, there is something profound that takes place. The 12 reluctant spokesmen are now turned into incredibly bold witnesses for Christ. In this moment, they weren't just receiving tongues of fire. That wasn't the point. They were receiving the Spirit of God so that they could be a witness for him. That word witness, if you look at it in the book of Acts, that word witness, it is a forceful word. The word witness is forceful. It reveals the duty of every believer, every person who has made a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. And yet so many of us, so many of us leave the witnessing up to others under the flimsy excuse of not being capable or not being gifted to witness. Dr. Hanley Mool, he's an Anglican bishop from the early 1900s, he said this. He said, the difference between someone who is quenching the spirit and someone who is allowing the spirit to have free course in their life is the difference between a well in which there is a spring of water choked up and a well in which the obstruction is removed so that the water springs up and fills the well. If we're choked by fears, by resentment, by indecision, by self-centeredness, then we're, we are suppressing the Holy Spirit who resides in us in order to free us. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you and he's there to transform you like he did with the disciples. You were designed for the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. The church, it shouldn't be a place where you just come and you, you collect information. Because the reason is information doesn't bring about transformation. You can know a whole lot of information, but just because you know a whole lot doesn't mean it's going to change how you live. It's application that brings transformation. Information will not transform you. It's application that will transform you. It's applying God's word to your life that will bring about transformation. Hebrews tells us that God's word is living and active. You guys, it's not what we know. It's what we do with what we know. So you can come and you can sit and you can listen every Sunday and think, I'm a good Christian because I am coming to church. 
You got step one right, but you got to share it. Look at what happened to the disciples. They went from these bashful, shy men to these bold, prophetic preachers. Peter preaches the first message of the church, of the early church. He preaches, and he stands up there proudly. Peter was this giant fisherman who had cowardly bowed down and cowardly went aside to this servant girl, and now here he is standing firm, boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? One reason. He was empowered with the Holy Spirit. Jim Cimbala, in his book, Storm, he writes, Our problem is not with the godless, secular America, but with a church that is increasingly prayerless, compromised, demoralized, and weak. We have drifted away from the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead of being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being conformed to the world. We are being conformed to the world. A a lamp, it only lights up if the cord is plugged in to its power source. It can't plug itself in to serve its proper function, but it also can't unplug itself and expect it to work at its best. As Christians, we need to be plugged into our power source. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to fuel and to light our work. Church, for you and for me, Pentecost means the power to change our world lives in us if we are born again and spirit-filled. The same Holy Spirit that used Peter to preach to the crowd that day is the same Spirit that's living inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit living inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that used Peter to heal a crippled man in Acts chapter 3 is the same Holy Spirit living within you. If you have that same Holy Spirit living in you, you will be willing to follow his direction and promptings and you can change the world. God will use you to redirect others. But you have to listen. You can't come to church every week and receive and do nothing with it. If you say yes to a relationship with Jesus, part of the responsibility that you have as a believer of Jesus Christ is to go and tell other people out there who are in a lost, dying, broken, hurting world that there is a source that can save them from all of that. And yet what we often do is we act like a lifeboat seeing somebody out in the ocean and we, we get close and we see that there's an opportunity, there's this moment that we can step in and we can say something and we drive on by because I'm not gifted. I'm insecure. I messed up. And yet, guess what? Jesus came for the insecurity that you have. He came to make you secure. He came to give you the words. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us if we have a relationship with Jesus. He can fill our mouths. He can speak when we don't know the words to say. And yet, too often, myself included, 
We have the opportunity to save people who are drowning, people who are hurting. We have the answer. We've got the solution. We've got the cure. And we hold on to it. And we don't share it. Part of being a Christ follower is being a generous person. If you have the cure to something, man, you better share it. When you look at the early church, one of the striking characteristics of them is that on the day of Pentecost, while they were gathered together, they were with one accord, Scripture says. That, that word accord, it means to have one mind. The early disciples, all 120 of them, they had one mind. They're, they were united in their desire to seek the face of the Lord. Unity was the calling card of the early church. And as Vance Havener said, he said, snowflakes are fragile things, but when they stick together, they can stop traffic. Snowflakes are fragile things, but when they stick together, they can stop traffic. There was a great Peanuts cartoon. Uh, Lucy walks in and she demands that Linus change the TV channels. She threatens him with her fist, and he, say, he says, what makes, me, what makes you think that you can walk in here and take over? And Lucy says, these five fingers. She says, individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together into a single unit, they form a weapon that has a terrible threshold. Which channel do you want? Asked Linus. And as he turned away, he looks at his fingers and he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> well, that's funny and brings a little joy in. My question is, why can't we get organized like that? Why can't unity be our calling card? There's so much brokenness, so much hurt in the world. And yet, what do we do as believers oftentimes? We're critical, judgmental of other Christians. We hurt our own reputation. We shoot our wounded. We kick them when they're down. Why would people want to be part of something like that? Hey, come join us. We're a loving family, but we're going to kick you when you're down. Let's, uni let's unify our lives. Heaven came to earth and transformed the early church and empowered them, and it took up residence within them. Heaven came to the earth, and it entered fallen human beings, people like you, people like me, people who were praying, people who believed in Jesus, people who were asking for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The mission was given by the living word of God to those in the kingdom of God who were to carry out the definite plan of God. The disciples, they were there. They were waiting in a room, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. They made themselves available to be used by God. And as they waited, as they made themselves available, they were empowered to reach lost souls. They were empowered to reach the world. They were empowered to witness to people with power. And the church of Jesus Christ was born.
and the world has never been the same since. The book of Acts, it continues to this day. The sequel is still playing. It's the acts of God. It's the acts of Jesus. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit taking place through ordinary people like you, like me, who are being changed, transformed, and born anew and recreated by God. God is transforming the earth with the power that has come down from heaven. Does this power live in you? Scripture says that if you abide in Christ, you will produce much fruit. But the same can be also, the reverse can also be true, that if you are not producing much fruit, then you might not be in alignment. Jesus didn't give the mission just to Peter. He didn't give it just to those who were gathered. The mission of Jesus wasn't just given to the pastors that stand on platforms every Sunday. It's been passed down to anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. If the Holy Spirit changed the world in the past, can it not do it again with you? As a Christ follower, you've been empowered to boldly speak the truth about Jesus. You've been empowered to boldly speak about Jesus. And yet, far too often, we catch ourselves sitting on our hands, concerned, afraid, fearful, worried, insecure, anxious, nervous. You name it. You fill that blank in for whatever it is for you. And Jesus says, I've given you power. I sent the Holy Spirit to empower you so that you can reach the world. The Holy Spirit came for us to distribute it. If we're just holding on to the gifts, that's called selfishness. But if we disperse the gifts, that's called selflessness. We are called to be selfless. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about what he can do. It's about the way that he can change your life. Can I tell you that one moment in the presence of God can change somebody for eternity? So when we miss that one moment, absolutely God can redeem it. I, don't, I believe that with all my heart. But we miss the opportunity to watch that transformation happen when we miss the moment. Don't miss the moment. Live a life that is empowered. Live a life that is Holy Spirit filled. Live a life that Jesus wants us to live. A life of power, strength, courage. The disciples were transformed in a moment. That one moment, that one interaction with Jesus, it changed the trajectory of their lives. And it changed not just the trajectory of their lives, it changed the trajectory of every person that was born after that. Because of one moment. Can you make that kind of a difference for somebody else in one moment? Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would help us Help us to listen to your Holy Spirit. God, help us to not miss the moment. God, we pray that you would fill us with your power. 
God, that we would be witnesses wherever we go. That we would share of the transformation that's taken place in our lives. And we would be able to see that transformation take place in the lives of others. God, we thank you that you are an active God. That you are constantly moving. That you are challenging us. That you are changing us. That you are transforming us. God, today, right now, I ask you to transform us. For any fears that we have, any insecurities we have, any concerns we have, God, that you would remove those and you would help us to be empowered. That we would speak your name in power. But God, I ask that you'd help us to do it in love. Because there's a lot of people these days that claim to have a relationship with you, but there's not a whole lot of love in the way that they talk to people, in the way that they interact with people, people who don't believe the same as them, people who do things differently than them. And yet, Jesus, you told us that people will know that we're your disciples, not by the judgment we place on others, not by the conviction that we place on them, not by the guilt that we place on them, but God, people will know that we're your disciples by the way that we love other people. God, we ask you to help us to love them. Help us to love people because every single person is created in your image and you have a heart for every single person. God, we ask that you would help us today to live empowered lives. If you're here this morning, as we keep praying, and you've never received the freedom that can be found through a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're here today and you walked in and you're battling some type of addiction. It could be a substance addiction, it could be a relational addiction be an addiction to insecurity. But you've been dragging this chain, you've been dragging this anchor along with you. And today you walked in and you were looking for something. You were looking for hope. If you're here today and you've never been set free from the burden, from the bondage, from the chain that you drag around every day, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, ready to receive freedom, ready to be released from that chain, I'm going to ask you in a moment to simply slip your hand up on the count of three. And what we'll do together is everybody in the room will repeat a prayer. We'll stay together line by line. We don't want to single you out. We don't want to embarrass you. But if you're here today, you're ready to receive freedom. You're done living in shame. You're done living in guilt. You're done with something else having a hold of you. If that's you today with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just slip your hand up on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. All right, thank you. Thank you. Would you all pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and paying my debt and giving your life so that I could have life. Today, Jesus, I lay my bondage at the foot of the cross. I give my life to you. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you celebrate those that made a decision today?